just before we start the show, I want to take an opportunity to invite you to join me for the Podfluence Weekly Newsletter, which is available both on LinkedIn and through the official newsletter channel. Now, if you are on LinkedIn and it's easier for you to follow there, then please just click on the link in the show notes, which will take you straight to Podfluence on LinkedIn, where you can subscribe for free and get weekly updates on Podfluence articles as well as episodes. If you would like to subscribe to the full newsletter where you'll get additional materials and, as my little incentive to you, my pre-podcast guest checklist for you to use when you're appearing on podcast shows so that you can be fully prepared every single time, then please click the link to the official newsletter in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to Speaking Influence. If you want to make sure that you join us on our live streams, then please make sure that you are following me on various social media channels so that you can get updated when the shows are coming out and they'll keep you in track. Otherwise, you can catch the recordings, of course, on the podcast channel and on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, or any other channels where you can come and find me. Today, we are talking about branding and how you can become the go-to expert, which is particularly important in this age of digital marketing. And my guest today is an expert in this area, as well as being a great speaker and knows his stuff about branding. He is the founder of the Brand Bucket Company and has many, many brands under his belt to his name as well. And so we're going to get some great insights today on personal branding. Please welcome to the show, Barnaby Winter. Johnny, a real pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be talking to you. Now, branding is an area that I do enjoy talking about on the show. and We've had uh, people talking about uh, personal brands and brand stories and stuff like that. I don't think we ever get the same content twice on this, so we always get new insights and things to learn. And I know that you look, I mean, you look, you don't have to look at your website to see you know yourself and you've been in this for a long time. And when we come to people who really know and are experts in branding, that you clearly stand out as someone who is. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, me too. Me too. Excellent. So we're going to run the titles and we'll be back in just a moment. Welcome to Speaking Influence, the show that explores the psychology and application of ethical influence and persuasion in life and business with persuasive presentations and podcasting coach, Johnny Ball. If you have an online business, you need to work on list building. The easiest way to get started for free is ConvertKit. It's recommended by industry pros like Pat Flynn, Chris Ducker, and our very own Johnny Ball. Click the link in the show notes and start building your list today. Okay, well, we are here with Barnaby Winter and we're talking about branding today and becoming go-to expert. Barnaby, tell us a little bit about your journey as a brand expert and someone who speaks about this regularly. Yeah, so I'm a career-long brand practitioner. So I've launched over 457 brands across the globe over 35 years. I had a real uh, rapid rise in my career. I, I, I did psychology as a degree and then went straight into the advertising industry. 
and within eight years became the youngest MD of a top 200 advertising agency in central London. Really primarily to having launched things like the relaunch of Ford Sierra and Argos, a big re- uh, catalogue retailer, worked on launched Lipton Ice Tea Worldwide, launched Boots Opticians, Red Stripe Lager, lots of different brands and ended up at this agency to, to launch a thing called E-Trade, which became the world's largest online broker. I like the company so much that in, in 2001, I actually bought the company from the founders. All excited, there I was, a know-nothing uh, young MD, didn't know anything. And then we got completely flummoxed by uh, the events of September the 11th because all our, our clients were essentially big American clients paying us regular fat monthly fees and they just stopped spending in, in uh, immediately after September the 11th so what what happened then is at the same time marketing was really taking a hammering so we got together the team there was about 35 of us in in central Clerkenwell and we decided to create a formula for marketing success that was really relevant to a more modern client because what had happened is the online arena had begun to take hold the way people were consuming uh, marketing was changing, the way people were buying was changing. So we set ourselves a six-month objective to come up with this formula for marketing success. Uh, it took seven years, Johnny. It was just m- mind-bogglingly much more complicated than we set out to do. So by late 2008, 2009, we struck upon the formula for marketing success. We'd seen some 300 brands through the process. So we, it was really robust. Um but by that time, I'd moved my company from a, a PAYE employed organization to effectively a freelance community with a few employees. So we, we had the same building uh, in, in Central Clerkenwell, six floors with studios and meeting rooms and offices and all that sort of thing. But everybody in there was essentially a freelancer. So as people had retired or left or moved on, we just replaced them with freelancers. And that really changed the dynamic of how clients received this particular formula. The community invited me to go out speaking. So I started to go and tell the industry how they're getting everything absolutely wrong. And one day after a gig, a guy came up to me and he said, oh, that was fantastic. I'd love you to come and talk to my organisation. I said, brilliant. He said, how much do you charge? And I went, "Uh, £500? He said, You've never charged before. <laughs> I didn't realize you could get paid to do this. And he said, oh, absolutely. Let me introduce you to the world of professional speaking. So in 2008, I became a professional speaker, started getting paid for gigs, which was really good. And then one day I was on a platform with a behavioral economist and I was being billed as a behavioral marketer at the time. Mm. And he stood up, went on and said, look, based on the electricity consumption and output in China and the electricity consumption, oddly enough, in Spain from the wind farms, I'm predicting a double dip recession. And I sat there and went, well, you are having a laugh, aren't you? I've just spent 10 years of hell navigating a completely fundamental shift in marketing. And now you're going to tell me there's a double difference. So I went back to the office and said to the two employees that we had, right, I'm going to close the agency and move everything to the cloud. Um, So we spent a year designing a cloud-based agency using the few and far between tools that were available at the time. And a year later in 2010, I published my, my, my first book, I and moved the whole agency to the cloud using essentially the same freelance community, effectively wiping out £330,000 overhead, which I had. So I've never really looked back since then. So today I have a very eclectic uh, portfolio. I work with five or six major corporates where I embed the whole brand bucket methodology. That takes about a year. Um, I'm currently mentoring 21 business leaders of slightly small businesses. I speak 35 times a year, so I aim to speak about three times a month on any given platform that people allow me 
I have three joint ventures, one on YouTube advertising and one in video production and one doing something else. And then I am a Ned on three businesses as well. Again, in the construction apprenticeships area, the team building arena and a wealth management, new wealth management platform that's being launched later on this year. So I have a fantastic portfolio, all of them coming to me and saying, how do we influence our marketplaces respectively from their different perspectives? Yeah. And, and certainly taking a look at your website and all the brands that you've been involved with is, is a very extensive list as well as because your speaking achievements and your podcast appearances like, you know, you someone who regularly checks out on, on, on what you talk about. And I want to get into first of all, then about how people are going wrong with their branding and with their marketing. What are the things that you notice that people perhaps don't understand and are getting quite often wrong? So I, I think that's a, a, a great question, Johnny. It, the, the first thing I, I think is worth clarifying is, is there is a fundamental difference between branding and brand. And I think the first thing I see going absolutely wrong in the industry is people keep muddling up the two, one, a brand and branding. So we came up with a definition in 1999 of what a brand is. So a brand is every experience that affects the relationship between a product or service and its buyer. That's what a brand is. So essentially what a brand is, is everything you are in business, every system, every process. And what you've got to do is you've got to orientate all of those towards the buyer and use every aspect of your system and process to convey and build and nurture and ultimately deliver on a relationship that people value more than they, the relationship they have with the money in their pocket. If you can convey a relationship, sense of relationship that looks like it's worth more than the money in people's pockets – or in their bank accounts, if you're talking B2B, then there's a really weird thing happens. They give it to you (laughs) in exchange for the relationship. Now, that's what a brand is. It's essentially a collection of commercialized relationships that are, are, are managed through a system and process. Branding is simply the clothes that you dress that in. It's your logo, your look and feel, your tone, that sort of thing. And it's fundamentally different. And I'm getting increasingly more grumpy uh, about the fact that actually people are spending a lot of money putting lipstick on a pig. And what they're doing is they're dressing their business, they're dressing their their propositions with amazing look and logos and spending lots of money on a fancy website, but they haven't got a fundamental business sitting behind this, uh, which is the brand. And so what's happening is they're just spending a lot of money. And, of course, what it does, it means that people criticize the marketing industry for mis-selling to businesses. They sell them a fancy logo, fancy look and feel, lovely imagery, great, great engagement strategies. But actually, nobody's really spent any time designing the brand. So I'm a brand expert rather than a branding expert. I get other people to do the the lipstick bit. Other people (laughs) can do that. I try and work with this. So that's the first fundamental uh, difference that you need to clarify at the beginning. What's changed in marketing over the last, certainly my 30 years, is when I came into the industry, branding was slightly stronger because what you did is you took a thing called a USP, a unique selling point or a unique selling proposition, and you wrapped it in a beautiful piece of creativity, and then you got the biggest loud hailer you could afford, and you'd scream at the marketplace until eventually some poor soul said, oh, I think I'm going to go buy that from you. And the industry I joined was essentially a broadcast industry. So it was all about broadcast, all about telly, and it was all about press, and it was all about cinema and radio, and that was kind of it. That was an advertising agency dominated the marketing uh, world in that in that sense. 
What then happened in 1995 is that all suddenly changed because of the arrival of a thing called the World Wide Web. And then everybody realized, actually, all these people are shouting at me. I get that. But actually, you're not the only choice. <laughs> there are lots of them. I just have to log on and do some surfing, and I find there's lots of choice. So what happened is the power base started to shift from the brand owner towards the buyer. And we saw that really have an impact. I mean, lots of people messed up. They treated the, the World Wide Web as if it was a bricks and mortar industry. And of course, they made, lost a lot of money in the late 90s and in the early, early yes. 2000s. <laughs> and I guess I kept trying to treat it like bricks and mortar. It wasn't. It was something completely different, which was when we were going through this process of identifying what had changed. By 2005, the conversion had almost been complete. And what we'd seen for 10 years is the briefs coming into the agency were saying, look, why buy from us rather than buy from our competitors? That was what all the creative work was. So we were trying to effectively steal from other people, brand steal in strategic terms. By 2005, however, everybody got a bit fed up of being told they had a problem and we had the solution and being having all that force fed because the broadcast industry was still driving all that. And by 2005, it had fundamentally changed again. And this is right in the middle of our progress. It took seven years because just when we thought we nailed it, we suddenly realized, oh, this doesn't work. We've got to do it again. So we carried on for another couple of years. And what changed was the power base and knowledge base and buyer base shifted to people who were purchasing entirely. And brand owners almost had no control over it. And we saw you know, all sorts of things. By this time, Google had taken a hold you know, started in 98, there were other things coming through. And what we discovered is actually what people were buying now was how you sell stuff. What's your style of doing business? And it made complete sense because people, why would people go to Sainsbury's rather than Tesco's, rather than Waitrose, rather than Asda? Well, because it's a style issue rather than necessarily what's being sold in it. Yeah, there are some product differences, but it's, it's negligible. Hmm. So what we realized then is actually what you had to do is in order to influence your marketplace, you had to demonstrate how you did business in a fundamentally different business. So we moved from what we were selling, why we were selling it, or why you should buy from us to how we do it. And if you look at all the brands now, Johnny, that are really, you know, dominating the airwaves, whether it's Airbnb, Expedia, Google, Deliveroo, Alibaba, these are all massive businesses and they all have one thing in common. It's not that they're all on the internet, which they are. It is that they don't actually make any of their products. They sell other people's stuff. So they themselves are simply brand experiences and they have taken the true sense of brand and really designed a business that's a, a, an experience from beginning to end, which is built around you and me so that we just love it. And we go one click, dance, delivered in a few hours, whatever. Amazing. Yeah. Whereas I think there are still a lot of businesses that are still stuck in the dark ages, as is from a few years ago, rather than the middle, middle ages, who are still thinking that they, their product is the big thing and it's not. People are buying ease of doing business and service now and so you have to design your brand to really be seamless from beginning to end and because it's relationship led only marketing people can help you do that the sales people who just yeah. want to do deals the ops people want to make it simple so they can go home at night the the finance guy just wants to make profits the ceo wants to go out and tell everybody how great he is and actually it's only the marketing people who sit there and we need to work on every aspect of our business to influence this sense of seamless interaction in a style that you and I like. 
And that's what's fundamentally different now. Fundamentally different. Uh, yeah, we recently had an episode on, on relationship marketing, which was which actually great and a, a really interesting thing to be talking about. A lot of the audience for this show are coaches and speakers yes. as well. Yes. And so what do coaches and speakers most need to take away from this understanding? So I, the, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to treat the nature of building relationships with event bookers, event organizers, with potential coaching clients, etc. You have to treat that as a relationship building system. So what you've got to do is you've got to transcend the fact that you're not trying to sell yourself. You're selling what it is you deliver to the event booker. So you've got to shift your emphasis away from saying, it's all very well saying I'm a brand expert with 35 years and 457 brands to my name. That means nothing for tomorrow. If you've got a brand today, it means nothing. And a lot of coaches and speakers say, oh, I'm highly qualified and all that. They're all just features, right? Okay, they, yes, you need it and you need to qualify it. What you've got to do is you've got to now demonstrate that the journey to you demonstrates the fact that you have this expertise and that you're prepared to give that up to the people that book you. So if you're a coach, you're going to help people be better something and you've got lots of techniques. What you have to demonstrate is how you make people better, not what it is you're going to do for them. If you're a speaker, what you've got to do is you've got to demonstrate what your audience is going to feel like as they leave the room you've just spoken in. And then what you have to do is build a seamless journey all the way through so that the event books get a flavor of that, they understand it, um, they get access to it, you can demonstrate that, and then ultimately using you is very simple, easy-peasy stuff, and it's not difficult. So you need to set up a system and process which you know that when you talk to an event booker or, or, or a conference organizer or anybody who's running a gig, that they really don't have to worry about anything. So you have to be a worry-free show from beginning to right. end so the transformational experience the outcome is really what has to be clear and and sold in those situations yeah. i believe so yeah and, and so what you've got to do is you've got to reframe your content or your competency in a way that uh, makes sense so that actually it's the outcome that people are buying Okay. I'm going to put myself on, on the line here as I ask you this, and you'll understand why. With the brand of something like this show, this podcast, what what perhaps do I need to do to get it right and to improve the, the brand here? What do you think is important? Because I'm sure there are other people out there who either have podcasts or I know there's some podcasters who tune in as well. So uh, some of them are my friends already. And so podcast brand is branding is a little bit difficult. I'm, I'm going to say, that's why I'm getting confused. Actually, can I say branding or do I have to say just brand now? Because <laughs> so, they're, diff- they're different things. I'm sort of thinking, I'm saying, am I saying the wrong word? So in terms of brand, what would you say for, for a show like mine? I'm putting myself out on the line because there's probably a lot that I get wrong. Yeah, no. So I, 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 again, it's a, a, a challenging question because I'm really, I, I don't look, okay. The key thing about any content provider is that you've got to really enable the listeners the viewers to effectively identify where you fit into their lives and you need to be really clear on that and we you'll hear you will have heard it on many times that people talk about niching yeah Mm. so what you've got to do is you've got to really really be very clear on first and foremost who do you want to 
partake in? What kind of people are you going to talk to? Because one of the big mistakes that broadcasters make is they say, we want to be loved by everybody, right? Okay, well, that's, that's, just, that's just not going to happen, yeah? That's simply not going to happen. So what you need to do is you need to identify very clearly who your target market is. And then what you've got to do is you've got to create a style of engagement with that target market that's specific to that target market, not to your style. I don't really care about your style. I, what I care about is my style so that I see where you fit into my life. Then you've got to be very clear to say, listen, you should form a habit of using this content source. It's like watching the news. Now you watch the news to find out what's going on in the world. So actually what you've got to do is you've got to set up your podcast as, okay, if you're in the business of being a better speaker or a better coach, then what this show is about will have will bring in people who will make you a better speaker and a better coach. Yeah. And that's what this show is about. And it's not interest, not whimsical. And you really need to follow everything because you're going to get a very robust 360-degree view of what a better coach looks like and what a better speaker looks like. And you'll get that from this podcast. You won't get anything else. You won't get how to be stay fit and healthy or eat well as a speaker and a coach. You won't get where to go on holidays as a speaker or coach and everything. It'll be simply, it'll be very much the business of becoming a better speaker and and coach um or something that's very niche and then what you do is you drive that message into the marketplace and then all of your communication says okay let me demonstrate how we do that so here's a snippet from a show that we really thought was pithy here's a little thing and you present it in a way that if you do what this person said your business is going to lift up Mm -hmm. and 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 that's the way to do it now once you've got that strategically in place, then you can put your lipstick on, yeah? And you can do all the fancy, whizzy, nice platforms and whizzy graphics and nice soundtracks and intros all pre-recorded, all that stuff. You can do all that. But what you've got to get in my head is actually this is, I need to do this. It's unmissable. I'm going to make a habit of listening into it. What you can also do is, is understand people and say, well, when are you going to listen? Are you going to listen in your own time? Are you going to listen in the car? Are you going to listen on the phone? Are you going to sit at your computer? Are you going to take, are you going to have a cup of coffee and a Kit Kat and sit down and do a half an hour at 11 o'clock every day or whatever? It doesn't really matter. Yeah. You've got to somehow inspire people to say, I'm going to do this as a regular thing because your style is going to have a particular way of presenting information to people. And I think that's what people are buying into. They're buying your style of doing it rather than necessarily the content. Yeah. So I, I think I feel like I'm getting more of a handle on that for myself for my show. So I don't feel too bad about that. And uh, I definitely have my people who like tuning into the show. And my mission, I think, is pretty clear. I talk about that uh, the, in, in a lot of my intros now, where my goal with this show initially and still is about educating people on influence and persuasion, ideally within an ethical framework, and how that relates to presenting and public speaking as well. So some episodes will have more of a focus on the influence and persuasion. Some episodes will have more of a focus on the presenting. And cool. sometimes we'll have a, a bit of talk about both and how those relate. But this is very much, we're talking about brand. We are talking about something that influences people. Your brand influences people. This is very highly yes. relevant whilst we're, whilst we're talking about that. And, and perhaps that's something we haven't emphasized enough on previous episodes. I, I, I was having an interesting insight. I was, <laughs> I was listening to an audio book. 
still not sure what I make of it, but I got some insights from it anyway. Is you know the Go Giver, the the Bob Berg Go Giver book? Yes, yes, yeah. So I was listening to an audio book of the Go Giver Influencer, they've called it. <laughs> which is, well, that's interesting, and I should probably check it out because you know influence persuasion is what in, I talk about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they, they weren't talking about like Instagram influencers and stuff like that. They were talking about you know, influencer in a more general term of being yes. influential in in your life and in business and things like that. And one of the things I took away from it, which I really liked, was this understanding that influence is more like uh, a gravitational pull. It's something that pulls you towards, and persuasion is something more that is a push you're pushing someone towards rather than pulling them towards i think yeah that's actually a really good i, I tend to call it more like uh, influence is more of a passive thing that you have and, and persuasion is more of a an active thing that you do but i really like that description more and i think i'm going to probably stick to saying that but your brand is very much that gravitational pull right very much so. Very much so. And I, I th- and obviously the branding industry is known as the persuader industry. So it's, there's a conflict. I'm not sure I entirely agree with that, that premise. I think the, the, what, what's changed in marketing is it's now all inbound. You should be focusing on, on 88% of all buying decisions start online, for example. So what you need to do is you need to be present in the online arena and then you need to effectively either attract or magnetize people towards your value proposition the core thing of your business and that's a very active energetic thing i think if you talk to the the core of the earth it will say actually gravity is quite hard work because we have to pack all of this this magnetic field into the middle of the planet so it kept pulling people towards the planet and kept everything on it so i think i don't see any difference in the energy of attracting and magnetizing people to persuading people which you might be right is it might be a could be construed as a more outbound activity and changing their behavior and, and making them think differently and then they, they come to you because you were responsible for that. I think magnetism, attraction, and it's interesting, Caldini's uh, second book on, on persuasion talks a lot about this sort of thing. Yeah. And I, I, I when I read it, I just said, yeah, but we've been doing this in marketing for 30 years. There's no new news in this for me because, of course, what we're trying to do is we create a core at the center of the planet, which is your value proposition, and then we attract people to that through lovely systems and processes to get them to buy from you and we create this sense of 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 wanting to own the product or the service or, or partake of it and that's always been the case in marketing but where you're right the polarity of the energy is different it now it's now about you're drawn to the energy rather than before you used to shout the energy out and try and give people energy to then to change what they're doing and reverse so i do, I do think that's right so influence absolutely our brand bucket model, which was created for Saab originally in 1985, been used on actually over 4,700 brands worldwide. I just, I've only just used it on 500 or so. That is an attractor model. It's a six-step engagement model that tells, absolutely guides people, whether they're speakers, whether they're coaches, they sell a product, whether they sell a service, guides how you need to enable your buyer to navigate the journey into your business. It's six steps to do that. Yeah. So I d- definitely want want to get into talking about that with you because I think uh, anyone who's watching or listening to this is going to be, what are the six steps? What are the, what are the, <laughs> the questions there? Don't worry, we're, we're going to come to it. I'm not that remiss as a podcast host. But, uh, but yeah, I just wanted to really just wrap up the stuff on influence persuasion well, to, to some degree anyway, because I, I, you're right, the influence has to happen first. The, the persuasion book is really about the influence setup for persuasion Correct. that happens afterwards, right? Correct. So it's like, yeah. 
um, so you have the, they say, you call it more passive stuff, but it's perhaps more proactive stuff. You have right. to set that stuff up. It's still you work, do. but you know, so it's, the energy is going in a different direction. It's perhaps the energy that's working on yourself and working on how you dress it up and what color lipstick you put on and all that kind of thing, right? So uh, then that's getting you ready for the audience that you are then going to persuade in a good way but not manipulative persuasion but a good persuasion to have the product or service that's going to benefit them and that's going to do something good for them and, and give them either a service experience that's going to be really good or a product experience that they really want to have or, or that must-have item that those kinds of things am i right with that yeah i what my my sense of, of this is that there is far less need to persuade than there was previously certainly when i started my career and the reason is because the new knowledge economy equips us far more as buyers than we would have done 30 years ago, where we really didn't have access to any in particular information unless it came from advertising. You didn't know about products. Whereas now we've got this amazing interconnected brain, which is the internet, which allows you to access. And what actually happens on the basis that most purchasing is done on a need basis. If somebody has a need, has a problem, has a challenge, has an issue, and they need to resolve that in some way. Whereas before, certainly in the, the period 95 to, to, to 2005, we told people they had a need. We said, you've got a problem. If you haven't got life insurance, you're in trouble. If you haven't got good teeth, you're in trouble. If you haven't got, you didn't do this. So we would shout at people and say, you've got a problem. And people go, whoa, hold on, hold on. I didn't have a problem before I met you. And now I do. And now I've got to solve it. And now I'm going to buy from you. Prior to that, we would just shout at people just willy-nilly and say, don't care who you are, you've got no choice, you have to buy from us. If you want a telly, you've got to get it from us, this kind of thing. Yeah. What happens now is people wake up in the morning and they go, do you know what, I've got a bit of a challenge. I've got a bit of an issue. I've got a, a, a problem. And what they don't do is then go and start scouring the market for the solutions. They Google it or they go to Amazon and they Google it in and they type in their problem. Say, I need a, a new holiday, a new tyre for my car, I need a different fridge i need to move house i need to change my kids school whatever so you go on and you start googling it and very quickly unless if you type something into google and nothing comes up on the front page you need to go and see a doctor because you're the only person in the world that's got that problem you need to go and see a doctor about that but most times there's a million results very quickly by the time you got to the bottom of page one and maybe page two. I don't think anyone ever goes to page three or beyond. Why there's 48 pages on Google, I don't know. The the you, You've got a shopping list. You go, and then what you do is you look at them and you see what they say and you kind of like, and then you visit their websites. You go, look at the website. That's interesting. And it's talking to me and it's in my style. And by the time, there's a great piece of research that came out that now comes out of Gart, uh, Gartner, but it was really originally formatted by uh, CEB, the Chief Executive uh, Bureau in America. Big piece of research. When people contact you for the very first time, they've made 57% of the decision to buy. That means they're more likely to buy from you than not buy from you. And there's no point in blasting them with how clever you are or how qualified you are or what your history is at that point, because they know that already. They've already been through that part of the journey. So what they, they're contacting you saying, I think you're a solution to a problem I've already identified, and I'd like to buy from you. So you're going to make yeah. it easier, which is why Amazon is it's got nothing on it. Exactly, Amazon, except the product and, and a buy here button. <laughs> yeah, I think, think there's a lot that people could learn for that of value. And, I, and I, this is a particularly American thing, and I have probably mentioned it before on the show. But when I go on to people's webinars, and I do check out a lot of other people's products and services, particularly when they relate to stuff that areas that I'm in as well, I like to see what other people are doing. Sure. And so you go on to these live events, maybe you've done it as well. And, and American ones particularly will spend maybe the first 20 to 30 minutes, sometimes more, 
just talking about how great they are or yeah. their lives, their past, their experience. I'm not giving up an hour or so of my time to no, listen to this. Right. Could you get to the bloody point? I'm here. Be, I, like you said, I'm here already because I think you have something to offer. Correct. I do not want to know what you had for breakfast or what your grandmother's maiden name was or anything like that. Can we just get to the point? I don't know if it bothers Americans less than English people, but I get very impatient with that. It's a great question. I don't know. Maybe they're more accepted, but it still happens a lot here in the UK, of course. You visit a lot of websites and then there's a really snappy video on there that tells you nothing but confirms stuff you already know because you've already seen the video on YouTube anyway because it was there or it was on a LinkedIn post or something already. So you actually don't need to see that video again and that doesn't yeah. tell you anything. And then it tells you the history of the company. You go, yeah, I don't need to know that. And then it says, I'm not a kidnapper. All... I don't need to know about the company. <laughs> you don't need to make that connection. Things, which I don't want. Yeah, no, I don't want it. Could I just get on with it? And, <laughs> and I, I think that's a really important point to understand because what, yeah. where influence has shifted, it's shifted into the great ether, the great interweb. So when you're talking about influence, There is a very particular strategy for influencing people to get to the point where they can then buy from you, which you're not involved in. Hmm. And it's all about demonstrating your subject matter expertise. And so whether you're a coach or whether you're a speaker, your marketing system should be actively demonstrating your subject matter expertise, which is why actually... Uh, podcasts like you do well because everybody who's recognized this says i'm going to come and talk about this and try and demonstrate to your audience their subject matter expertise and within that some people say that's a load of old rot i don't believe that it's not my understanding of the world and other people go that's interesting but you know what i'm going to carry on eating my lunch and it's no big deal and other people go oh actually ping 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 that's really hit where i'm at i need to is there a way of getting hold of this person to then say can they help me make sense of what I'm looking at right now. Um, And so therefore, your content strategy should be demonstrating your subject matter expertise in in an insightful way that helps people who are a bit confused, not really sure what they're going to do, make sense of the buying decision they're making. And then they're going to come to you and say, do you know what what you said really resonated and or what I read really resonated or the video I watched really resonated? Is there some way, do you do more than what you just talk about it? Is there any way you can help us? And that's the process for speakers and, and, and coaches. Yeah, um, absolutely. Well, I, I mainly do this show so that I you know, people associate me with more intelligent people and think hopefully <laughs> think that I am as well. So uh, that's, that's one of one of my big... One of my I thought big I came on this show to make me look good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I hope, we managed to, hope we managed to do that as well. And just basking it in the glow from your expertise. Yeah. Now, we were talking about sort of that thing of how annoying it is when people don't get to the point and as people are saying, well, why don't you do that, John? Can we please get to asking Barnaby about his six, his six oh, points? Oh, the six steps. Yes, the thank you. Steps. Thank you. Yeah, no, we seeded it earlier, so it's... Hopefully, if you're if you're watching in or listening in, then 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 okay. What are the six steps? So the six steps are very clear. The first thing you've got to do is you've got to you've got to raise awareness, and this is essentially more branding. So this is this you've got to have a, a strong logo. I'm a specialist in creating what we call brand properties, which is effectively a little icon or something. So if if you're listening in the UK, you may see uh, people wearing daffodils, which are for a charity. That's one of mine. So it's one of my proudest pieces of work. So. Uh, 
there. Charity is that, Barry? That's Marie Curie Cancer Care. I, I knew I recognised it. We yeah. couldn't quite see that. <laughs> Marie Curie Cancer yeah. Care. But if you're into, so I'm a specialist in producing a little something. You may guess that mine's a bucket. Everywhere I go, there's buckets associated with with, with me. So that's the thing, and that's you're raising awareness. And what you're doing is you're getting your name out there. If you've got a great name, get your name out. If you're a speaker, I think it's always good to use your own name because that's relatively unique to you. Uh, it's very unusual for lots of other people. I may be biased because I'm called Barnaby Winter. There's only one other in the world, so you know. Yeah, yeah. I don't have such an outstanding name. My, my <laughs> no, name is pretty common. It's, you, you, uh, it's like but, nothing like animal magic. The stereotypical English name, and yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so, so then clearly you want to add a brand property to it and. Uh, something like that so actually you've got something that's iconically representing what what you're about or you come up with a natty tagline uh, and you spend a ton of money getting people to say that or whatever a little quirky thing or whatever but the brand properties are that's awareness all you're going to do there with with that first step of of bringing people into effectively a bucket is people are going to say i've heard of you and you're going to go fantastic and you go yeah i've heard of you and you go no that's brilliant and you go yeah all i've heard of you now that in itself is an achievement because we receive 18,000 marketing messages every single day, of which 4,000 yeah. are new. So if you can achieve that, the trouble is I've heard of you doesn't build business. It doesn't get you in a business. So the next level you have to do is you have to do what we call image match. So awareness leads to image match. When I came into the industry, what we did is we insisted that buyers match to our image. So brand owners could come up with their own image and they blast it everywhere and you either liked it or you didn't and that's what you did. That's reversed now. When we talk about image match, you have to match to the image of your ideal prospect. So you've got to be in the style of the people you want to buy from you. Mm. And that's how we match image. It's fundamentally different. Because we buy from people we like. You'll appreciate I haven't got any friends, and there's a reason for that. But the reality, we buy from people we like. But in our research in 2005, we designed, we found another dynamic when we researched this, is people not only bought from people they liked, but they bought from people like them. So we buy from people who we like, who are like us. So when you're presenting as a brand, whether you're a coach or a speaker, you're going to present in the style of the people that you are buying from you, not in your own style. And that really confuses people. It confuses web designers and people who learn, who've grown up on, on Photoshop and Illustrator. They go, no, 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 but I'm the creative. I come up with a beautiful thing. And you go, yeah, but actually, can you please design it so my target market like it rather than I like it? And they, yeah, but you pay the bill. And I go, okay, yeah, I need to like it as well. But actually, I'd also pay for something I didn't like as long as you told me my market would like it. And so that's the first two steps. And those two steps are the engagement steps. So you engage people by using your name and an icon, your look and feel, all the branding stuff. But then what you do is you match the image of your prospect with what you do. If you're a coach or a speaker, one of the best ways of matching to the target market is to use insight to use your subject matter expertise, to tell people all the amazing things, things they've never thought of. Because then people who are in that subject will go, wow, you know what? I've never seen the world like that. And that's quite clever what you've just said. And I've never seen that. And wow, do you know what? I, I, I should do more with these people. And that moves you to the third step, which we call fax match. Because then they go, okay, I've got an opportunity to buy. You'll sound like you might solve one of my problems that I'm challenged with. But I need to find out whether you can. So you ask lots of questions, at which point people say, so what is it exactly you do? That's normally the most common question. If you've ever been networking or you've been everything, they say, what do you speak about? What do you coach? And people go, oh, well, I use my 35 years of this, that, and other, and I've done this, and blah, blah, blah. And you go, and there we go. At which point, when you look up, they disappeared because they're not interested in the features of your business. They're interested in what's in it for them. 
So you have to communicate your benefits at this stage. So when they say, what do you do? Really answer the question, what do you do for me? Which is what actually yeah. Americans do, do actually. They, I think they, they overcome this blitzing of how clever people are and how big and wonderful they are by having the question, what do you do for me? And if you go networking in America, as I have done, people walk up to you and say, hi, you know, well, I'm Hank Weissmuller. What do you do for me? And you go, oh, I'm Barnaby. I'm a professional speaker. And this is what happened to me in New York. I'm in New York. I want to speak in America. Blah, blah, blah. And he goes, oh, great. He said, what do you do for me? I said, well, I have a unique six-step engagement model. I'll make all your marketing work. And he goes, okay, great. What, what do you, ah, you know what, forget it. And walks off. <laughs> and it was quite a profound moment for me. And I've never spoken in America as a result of it. The truth, not through choice. We just, I've never been able to. The Americans have a way of getting through all the clutter. They just say what do you do for me and you go well actually what we do is we give you this we'll achieve this we'll change this we'll transform this whatever you create a whole new language around what we call facts match so now mm-hmm. awareness i built awareness i've heard of you and i i, I, I built a w- image match so i like you because you like me and now i know what you're going to give me at this point marketing people will say great job done fantastic and i'm going to lunch but actually what happens is then is people you, you give them the moment they say when i need somebody like you i'll come back and we ha- I hear this as coaches and speakers all the time. Yeah, well, you're perfect for my event coming up. And then they never return. And you go, well, well where have you gone? So what the, the uh, marketing industry does, it keeps feeding back the top, keeps doing the advertising and the blogging and the SEOing and the Google AdWords and the, you know, this and the keep going, keep going. But that's a fraud because what you should be doing is moving people to the fourth step, which is giving them a test drive. So giving them an experience of what you do. Uh, a fundamental experience. We call this response. So you move people from facts match to response. So the two steps in the middle there of the bucket, facts match and response, equate to demonstrating your value. Demonstrating your value. And it's really important that you have that. So you demonstrate it by telling everybody what the benefits are and then you give people a go. And you can see where this comes from Saab because in that was a test drive. You take car for a test drive. Now, do you take car test drive to see if it's got a steering wheel or a gear stick or that it's got seats or four wheels? No, you don't. You you take it to think, what would it be like to be the owner of this car and does it feel good and is it the right size? The experience, like, yes, yeah. yeah it's, it's an immersion of the experience. So you must immerse people in your experience. And if you're a speaker, you need a good showreel and you actually ideally want people who, who are going to book you to come and see you speak live and how you interact with the audience and all that stuff. You've got to do all of that. And... At that point, and only at that point, when they go, I love all this. I, I love this test drive. I love driving this car around. It's really brilliant. And then the, the showman says, yeah, you, you do have to give it back because it belongs to us. <laughs> you know? uh, and you go, no, no, you can't take it away. I love it. I love it. And you go, no, I have to take it away. I'm not, in the, I'm not a charity. And at that point, you say, I'm really sorry. I can't keep giving you this free stuff. And they go, well, I don't, what do we do about this? I love the relationship I've got with you. I really like it solves the problem I've got. I really don't know. And you go, well, I don't know how to help. I can't keep giving it free. I'm in business. Oh, actually, I do have one idea. They go, what is it? What is it? I say, you give us money, right? And we'll let you keep it. And they go, yes, yes, great idea, great idea. And they give you money. So at that point, they buy. And it's only at that point when they've been fully immersed in effectively what we call the value proposition. Now the marketing people have definitely done. They're off to lunch. They've done their job. They've taken the suspect. They've turned him into a prospect. They've turned them from cold to warm to hot, hot, hot. And they've managed to be converted and they're happy. Actually, this is where marketing really starts because now people have given you money with which they have a relationship and they've exchanged the relationship with their money 
with a for a relationship with your product or your service or whatever it is you're doing. So now you've really got to apply marketing thinking to the whole experience of being an owner or a user of your product. We call this usage. So that's step number five, usage. Uh, and you've got to make the experience of being an owner or a user of your product or service amazing. So as a speaker, I can tell you there's lots of speakers who do not make booking amazing. They don't make setting up an event. I, As a matter of course, I go early to a gig and I sometimes reset the chairs or I do something different. And I've got loads of comments say the thing that's different about Barnum is he comes and help us run the event. He doesn't just come and do the show. And he goes, and it's always better for it and everything. Because you've got loads of experience with lots of other gigs. And you go, actually, it'd be better if you didn't have an aisle up the middle. It might be better if you have the aisles at the side so that when latecomers come, don't disturb everybody's watching and stuff like that. And stupid things. And you just arrange the chairs is a bit different. And but you get things, that help, things that help everybody as well, not just, it does. Not just yourself. It, correct. Yeah. And that's usage. And that's yeah. what we call usage. And it yeah. could be the way the box opens or it could be the way you run your sessions or whatever. And then the final step is what we call loyalty, which is you must look after the people who buy from you regularly. And the way you do that is the insights that you're pumping out at the top of the bucket to attract people, you give to the people at the bottom of the bucket first. And say, by the way, we've just discovered this piece of research or this new way of doing things or, or I've got a new way of presenting or whatever, a new device. You give that to all the people at the bottom first. And what that does is it goes, oh, actually, I like the fact that we bought from these guys because they're always thinking of us, they're always looking after us, and they might buy or use you again. What they also do, which is equally as important, is they tell other people about you and say, you yeah. should use these people because they're great. And, uh, and they do this and they're a bit special and all that sort of thing. So the six steps are raise awareness, create image match, drive facts match, communicate your benefits, Create a response through a test drive. Make the experience of being an owner of your product or service or a user of your product amazing usage and then loyalty at the bottom. So awareness, image match, facts match, response, usage, loyalty. They're the six steps. So there you go. There's your experience coming through because you saved me having to ask you to recap them for us because I know I was thinking, oh yeah, I could do the recap of that. I'm sure the audience would as well, but you've done it for us. You expertly delivered your six steps. And unfortunately, we, we're drawing to the end of our time talking together, but it's been really fascinating. I, I could happily go on talking and talking, but I have to let you have some of your day back. And of course, this isn't for free, you know. It's, <laughs> well, this is for free, but you know, you can't go on giving it for free, as you mentioned. You can't. Uh, we have to talk, start talking about other terms and conditions if we go on much longer. But uh, but for now, we're going to start uh, wrapping things up for today. But if there was one thing from what we've talked about today that you would want people to remember the most, there's like, is there, okay, if you only take one thing away from this, what would you want? To so, uh, well, okay, there's, they, they, clearly, I want people to remember that branding is not is not brand. They're yeah. fundamentally different. But I think the thing that I would really commend people to do is start in the right place. We haven't really talked about it, but you must develop your value proposition first. Before you do anything relating to influencing anybody, make sure you know exactly what it is you want to influence the world with. And I'm sorry to say that the significant proportion of, of businesses, speakers, uh, coaches simply cannot express what their value proposition is. And unless I, I you, agree very much. And, yeah. and I, I have a particular way of doing that, but please get your value proposition in order before you do any of this. Otherwise, you will, first of all, waste all of your money on anything you do. You will never build a business and people will never get why you exist. 
And therefore, you have no chance of influencing anybody or anything apart from what's probably going on in your own head. And yeah. uh, so that would be the one thing I'd absolutely commend people to do is get that value proposition. For, for coaches and speakers uh, and even general business owners, it, it's so essential. And I know for myself, especially with some recent work I've, I've been doing on exactly that, that um, having that and, and being clear on having uh, a value proposition that is clearly beneficial to people has been transformative. It's like, if you don't look at anything, oh, I'm excited about that. I'm pumped for it. I really want to buy it. And you, you still have all your work ahead of you. So, right. so right. yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's and very everything challenging. Else, just a matter of propping the experience and the systems and processes to deliver the value proposition. And then you can yeah. say, does that icon, does that name, does that system, does that process, does it drive people's understanding of the relationship with my value proposition? And if it doesn't, don't do it. You may like it, you might like the colour of it, you might think it's cheap, you might whatever, it doesn't matter. Don't do it if it doesn't lend weight to your value proposition. Great advice indeed. Before I get to asking your question, I ask all my guests, the one thing I I will give you an opportunity to do is to let people know where they can find out more about you. Yeah, I'm I'm Barnaby Winter with a Y, W Y N T I. I please just drop onto LinkedIn. I've got I've got I put my whole life on LinkedIn as many of us have. So that, that gives you a good flavor. I have a website called barnabywinter.com which you're welcome to visit. It's got some of my videos on it. It's got all the things that I do. And I just drop me an email, Barnaby at the brandbucketcompany.com and say hi and say I have a question. What I'm more than happy to do is to help people answer simple questions. If it, I won't answer, can you please rebrand my business in the next six months? <laughs> I won't answer that one quite so easily, but but I wouldn't mind that kind of email. But no, it's, I'm more than happy to help. I've got the way I work, so I have a lot of time to to help people who need help. So if you're at an early stage and not quite sure, please make contact. I'm more than happy to, to help there. Okay. If you've got another hour after this chat, then let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But thank you. Yeah, you shared so much great information for this, and I hope people will come and check out more about you, and they can certainly check out some of your shows where you've been on other podcasts, uh, and this show is going to be out there as a resource for you as well. Um, sure? But please do come and check out more about Barnaby and, and revisit, review what we talked about here today. But if you have those six, those six steps written down, and you really think about your value proposition, I think you're going to be heading into very, very clear waters when it comes to your business. The question that I like to ask all my guests is to recommend a book, a book that perhaps relates to your industry or perhaps is a fictional book that you really love. But if I come to you and say, hey, Barnaby, I'm looking for a book recommendation, what would you offer? Well, as, as you can see from behind me, I have a vast... One or two. <laughs> One, One or two. two. So now that's a horrible question because, okay, so what I'm going to ask you a question, John, because to give you the right answer, what do you want the book for? Okay. Let's say that I want a book that's going to give me some really great principles that will help me in business. Okay, great. Okay. Thank you for that. Because that does help. So my go-to book for for business is E-Myth Revisited by, by Michael Gerber. That's a go-to book because what it teaches you is to the principle of building systems and processes. But for people that I would hope are listening in, the one book I would read is a book called The Thought Leader's Practice. This book here. Um, I've got so many. So, so I match Australian guy. And this book is a fantastic way of uh, 
a way of building around your subject matter expertise. It gives you a formula for that. It's, it talks about context, concept, and content, and it, it and it shows you a methodology. They use a kind of a series of, of belts, judo belts, to go grow your business, and you grow a business in an area, and then you do the next area, and you all that sort of thing. It's a really cool book. It was quite. I found it quite stimulating when I read this book because it contextualized yeah. what I was doing in a way that was really good and really good for people who work on their own. Uh, and are trying to build a substantive lifestyle business, yeah, which is something I, like I know I've had it recommended before, and I'm trying to think who it was. Uh, E-Myth has been recommended a few times. I love it. It's a great book. I would recommend it myself. And Thought Leaders Practice is on my, is on my reading list already. And-, and if you want one quick little fun one, Lessons from a Mouse, Dennis Snow. This is really this is the, the, the story, um, Guide for Applying Disney World Secrets to the Success of Your Organization, Your Career, and Your Life. This is very cool, this book. I'm a big Disney fan, so uh, I, and this is one of my favourites. Uh, that, that is definitely a unique, uh, unique recommendation <laughs> in addition to the others. So, trust, so, trust, me, trust me, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. I, I will, I will take a look at that for sure as well. It's big. It will go onto my list. I'm sure many others as well. Let's wrap things up then with uh, maybe some closing thoughts, a call to action, or something you would like to leave everyone with today. Listen, guys, we have created a problem with the knowledge economy. There is now too much stuff out there that it's become impossible to judge what is good and what isn't good. And I think if you're a coach in a specific area or you're a speaker in a specific area, you have a massive opportunity to help audiences and indeed coaching clients make sense of a world where there is just too much stuff out there. And you become the expert that helps people shape how they lead their lives, how they drive their businesses, how they drive their personal lives. And I think one of the most exciting things about being a speaker today, uh, and I wish event organizers would would recognize that we are the humans, we're the human Googles. And People want human Googles now. They yeah. don't want Google Googles. Yeah, because it's just too overwhelming. So if you really focus down on what your subject matter expertise is, build your all of your experience around how, how cool it would be to learn what you know, what you're able to teach that can make a difference to them. And if you do that, I think you would enjoy a, a most amazing 10 years until AI comes and then I'm afraid we all have to sit with our feet up and watch uh, television all day because AI is going to dominate everything. <laughs> well, unless, unless, you, unless you listen to Andrew Oppenheimer, who thinks that the educators and entertainers will still have work. And, yeah, well, that, that, that may well be true, but I still think AI will tell me what I'm going to be entertained by. <laughs> <laughs> more, more than likely. I was thinking that's the whole, I was thinking, oh, that could be a whole show just talking about that easily. And I'm thinking, actually, it could be a whole podcast just talking about podcast, talking yeah. about that particular area. Yeah, it's it's, it's a very important thing, and perhaps yeah. we will get to talking about that some more on shows in the future I'm Barnaby sure. it's been a real pleasure speaking to you today I, I've learned a lot from you uh, and it's been a fascinating conversation that I know I will return to uh, and I probably will want to come back to you and speak to you again in the please future do, and get to some of the things that we didn't get to talk about today but no, for please now do, please do. thank you for coming and being a guest on Speaking Influence thank you so much Johnny and thank you everyone Thanks for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed the show. If you did, please make sure you put something into action that you learned here today. And of course, subscribe to the show if you haven't already done so. 
If you'd like to support the show, one of the best ways for you to do that is to share our episodes with your network. Now, of course, share the episodes that you love, perhaps more than the ones that you don't, but word of mouth makes a huge difference to us. And you can now support the show financially as well, even just by buying me a coffee. For five US dollars a month, you can help make the Speaking Influence podcast an even bigger and better show. There's also a membership level where you can get exclusive access to our live stream recordings to be in the virtual studio with us and exclusive Q&A time with our show guests, as well as advanced information of the shows and guests that are coming up. To do that, visit the Supercast page in the show notes or in the YouTube description. For now, see you next time and go and make great things happen.